Hey y'all and welcome to Feasting on Truth. I'm Erin Warren and Happy New Year! Even though I know much remains the same today, I feel like there's been this collective sigh around the world. 2020 is over. And while not all bad, it definitely stretched us. But one of the greatest gifts 2020 gave me was this ministry and this podcast. And I want you to know that I am so very thankful for you and thankful to every person who bought a copy of Waymaker. I have been blown away by how many of you have joined in on this feasting adventure. And I look forward to 2021 and and what God will continue to do through Feasting on Truth. So stay tuned at the end for some more information about what's coming up next. This is it. This is the final episode of season two in our study of Hebrews and Waymaker for Advent. Way to go. I am so proud of you for enduring through some hard passages and sticking with it. I pray that God met you in the passages of this deep book and that you are not starting 2021 the same. On the surface, this chapter can read like a hard one. What are we supposed to do with passages like this that can feel overwhelming by all the things that we need to do? But I hope I can help shed some light with a different approach that will help. Here is Hebrews 13. I can hardly believe it. Chapter 13. We are in the final chapter of Hebrews. And um, if you have made it this far, it doesn't matter if you're listening to this in January um, or February or March. It doesn't matter if you're listening to this in August. Um, I want to applaud you and say, well done. Way to stay the course. Um, And what I love about Hebrews and what I love about doing it as an Advent study is that it doesn't end or it doesn't have to be relegated just to Advent. And um, I think that's what's so powerful about Hebrews is that studying it in the Christmas season opens our eyes to a maybe a deeper, um, as we await the coming of Jesus, um, maybe a deeper understanding. But at the core, um, we can study this anytime. And truthfully, uh, the Christmas message, the gospel message is something that we need uh, basically every day. So um, let's dive into Hebrews 13. Now, if you have, um, this is a pretty common way for a writer to end a letter. Um, And it's kind of like this rapid fire succession of, okay, I've told you all these things. And in light of all of this, this is how our lives should look. Um, You see Paul use it in several of his letters as well. Um, And it's kind of this, because of the truth of who he is, um, here is how our life should look different. And our tendency when we read something like this is to kind of go through verse by verse like a checklist. Good. All right. I'm fine there. Mm, I could probably work on that a little bit. Or, oh, that one hits a little close to home or totally fine not doing that, 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 that. Um, And we jump right to application. Um, And and we go, okay, how does this apply to my life? Um, And... uh, while I could go verse by verse 
and teach us how we, you know, and teach through how we can change our actions and respond to each of these kind of rapid fire um, exhortations or here's what your life should look like. What I want to do is flip this question because we throughout this whole study have been um, really honing in on the character of Jesus um, and by extension, the character of God. Um, so I understand that in um, scripture, there are roles of Jesus and characteristics of Jesus that are different as God, the son and God, the father and God, the Holy spirit. Um, but at this kind of basic level of introduction to inductive study and Bible study, um, I like to treat them kind of, I, I don't want to say one thing, but um, understanding that there's a lot about, G about Jesus and about the Father and about the Holy Spirit that are very much the same. And so um, I want us to flip and instead of going, here's what God requires of us, I want us to go back and go, what does this say about God? Um, because that has really been the lens through which we are studying the scripture. When I teach um, in, in Bible study and what we're getting ready to do um, in a few weeks with um, the second half of the Gospel of John, um, I teach using four simple questions and I kind of call it inductive light. Um, and it's very similar to what um, you might um most inductive studies, you know, observation, interpretation, application, but I have a couple little twists on it. So the first thing in question is, what does this say? It's really just a summary statement because you've got to understand what it says before you can understand what it means. But before we jump to what does this mean? What is the interpretation of this passage? Um, I think it's really important to set that God-centric lens through which we study. Um, and so we ask this question, what does this say about God? And then get to uh, meaning and where God is drawing your attention and what he's really trying to do. And then finally, how should I respond? And I never ask the question, what should I do? Because sometimes our response to scripture is not something to do. It, it might be that we um, need to worship. It might just be a moment of prayer. It might be awe. Um, it might be sitting still, It, which I guess technically all of those could be something that you need to do. But I want us to not think about our response always in the form of having more works to do. Does that make sense? So follow me because we're going to talk about this throughout this whole passage. So um, often when we read chapters like this, we tend to want to jump right to the application and we tend to look at them um, through some form of works or legalism. Like this is what I have to do to be um, a Christian. This is what a Christian should look like. And if I don't look like this, maybe I'm not a Christian or um, I'm not a good enough Christian if I struggle with some of these things. And I found that if we do not tether our actions first and foremost, to who God is and what Jesus did for us, then we are simply humans trying in our own strength to please God. But if we take time to seek out the character of God and study every scripture with a God-centric view, I find myself falling more and more in love and standing more and more in awe of who God is. And then the natural overflow of my life 
is obedience. So do you see the difference? It's the difference of being saved by obedience versus being obedient because we are saved. And so because we believe that Jesus Christ has finished the work and we've studied through all 12 chapters about how he made the way, how he is sitting at the right hand of the, of the father, the work is done. We, um, all we have to do is put our faith in him. So we know that we are saved, not by our obedience, but by our faith. But the overflow of that becomes a life that is changed. And um, so asking this question about what does this say about God has radically changed my walk and it has drawn me closer to God, um, more than any other practice in my life. And I think it's because when we get a glimpse of who God is, we cannot help but worship. When we see him in truth, we cannot help but stand in awe and fall at his feet and be thankful for what he's done. This study of Hebrews has has just radically changed the way that I continue to see what Jesus Christ did for us as our way maker. And I can't help but be changed because of that. And so when we read chapters like this, um, and I'm going to read a little bit of it, but we're going to flip the question. So let me start by reading Hebrews 13, and I'm going to read, um, I'm going to go ahead and read one through 19. And then we'll kind of come back and hit on a few things. Um, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let, mar the, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you had, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear reproach he endured. For, he, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us for we are sure that we have a clear conscience 
conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. So there's a lot in these type of chapters because it's this kind of rapid fire back and forth, um, quick um, things. So here's how we're going to flip this. So when we read verse one and it says to have brotherly love, instead of going, okay, love my brothers and sisters. Okay, check. Um, instead, we ask, why do we love? Why does God ask us to love? Well, it's because in his character, God is love. And not only does God love, but he is love and he loves us unconditionally. His whole love has been poured into our hearts. There is no hate in him. And so for me, a lot of um, understanding God's love toward me has helped me love my children in their mistakes. So when my children um, mess up because they're kids, they're young and they cannot be perfect. They're going to lose self-control. They're going to lose their temper. And it's not that there isn't correction um, or consequences, but I come at them from a position of, of, of this loving because I, God doesn't scream in my face or God doesn't come and he doesn't go, well, there you go again, messing up again. He doesn't use shameful words at me. And so it helps me to, um, and I'm not perfect at it, please do not hear that, <laughs> but it helped me as a parent or as a friend when people mess up to respond to them in a loving manner because God responds to me in a loving manner when I mess up. Does that make sense? So um, why do we show hospitality? It's because God is generous and kind and he shows hospitality to us. He opened the way for us to come in through Jesus and he generously provides for us as Yahweh Jireh. Why do we remember those in prison and those who are mistreated? God remembers us and provides for us, especially in this day. So he's referencing most likely prisoners who are in prison because of the name of Jesus. And they were um, dependent on outside sources for their needs. And so they received care from people, not from the prison system, um, but from people who would send them money or send them food um, or send them clothes. And so he's saying, don't forget those people. Um, help provide for them because I've provided for you. Um, why are we called to purity? And this is not just in marriage, but in all areas of life. It's because God is pure and holy and there's no impurity in him. He is blameless and sinless. And when we remember that he is holy and he is pure, then it reminds me of why we are called to move toward purity why are we to be content with what we have and not love money? It's because he's always with us. I love, he actually kind of gives us the explanation for this one. He shows us how God's character meets us in our sin and helps push us forward in sanctification, in becoming more like Christ. Um, because if he had said, uh, typically when we're like, you just got to be content and goodness, didn't we say that a lot in 2020? And I love that I can in this moment say it is no longer 2020, it's 2021 when I'm recording this, um, to not love money and be content. 
And he answers it with the character, the, the omnipresence of God, that he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And that verse that he quotes is from um, a couple of instances in the Old Testament, um, but all of them happening around the time when Moses is handing off um leadership of the Israelites to Joshua. So in Deuteronomy 31, six, it says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread for it is the Lord, your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And then two verses later in verse eight, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be, do not fear or be dismayed. And so even him saying he never leaves or forsakes us um, triggers in their mind this passage because they would have known this Deuteronomy is part of the first five books of the Bible that they would have studied. They would have known this. And so it would remind them that they do not have to be in fear or dread. They do not have to be dismayed when they feel like they don't have enough. And when you feel like you don't have enough, it is very often that the love of money or the desire for money or the feeling like if I just had a little more money, I could do what I needed to be content, but it's born out of scarcity. But when we remember that he is with us and that he never leaves us or forsakes us, that he goes before us and we do not have to fear, then we remember that we have everything we need. And over and over in scripture, it talks about how we have everything we need because of Jesus. And the Greek word that is used here for content, it's rooted in the idea of being satisfied or things being sufficient, but it comes from a root word that means to raise a barrier or ward off. Contentment is like putting up this barrier in your heart that is grateful for what you have inside the walls. And I'm, this is different than, you know, striving forward or just sitting and I'm not talking about the, you know, don't set goals or don't, but it's about the consuming feeling that what you have isn't enough in a way that it separates you from Christ in a way that makes you look more at your circumstances and less at God. And so um, we need to remember that no matter what we lost this year, we can raise that banner, that barrier and remember that what we have is Jesus. We did not lose Jesus. No matter what we lost this year, we did not lose Jesus. And remember who the original audience is for this letter. These are people who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus, not only from their government, but also potentially by their families and their local Jewish communities. They are literally having the Jewish um, synagogues say, you're not a welcome here anymore. They have what they would have considered um, churches saying, you're not welcome. They were being shunned. And so it, but he's saying like, listen, religion may turn their back on you, but Jesus is not, he is with you. They had lost a lot, but they never lost Jesus. He never left them and he's never left you and he's never left you behind. And he is still there. Even if so many other things have been shaken away, Jesus and his kingdom cannot be shaken. Remember that from Hebrews 12. And then in verse six, he quotes this Psalm right after that. He says, 
um, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That confidence means to show boldness. And I love how Matthew Henry summarizes these um these six verses, the one through uh, one through six, he says in the original, there are no less than five negatives put together. So when it's written, it's like, never will I leave you. There's ne- it's all these negatives. Um, and it confirms the promise to the true believer that uh, to the true believer shall have the gracious presence of God with him in life at death and forever. Men can do nothing against God and God can make all that men do against his people turn to their good. Y'all, no matter what happens, no matter what is going on in our present circumstances, God's gracious presence is with you in your life, in your death forever. And no man can take that away. No person on earth. No, um, I love the Romans 8. Like nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He is there and he's there forever. And then he continues on in verses seven through nine. And this is one, verse eight is one of my favorite, favorite pictures of Jesus. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. It speaks not only to his eternal nature, but his, the big uh, word for it is immutability or immutable. It means that he doesn't change. It means that he is changeless. I love hearing it that way. Like, it's not just that he stays the same. It's that he literally is changeless, that that he never changes, that he stays the same. He was the same Jesus yesterday. He was the same Jesus 2000 years ago. He was the same Jesus that was with this persecuted church that he is today with us coming out of one of the the craziest and, and most rocky years of our lifetime. And it's one of my favorite characteristics because it continues to bring comfort when everything else around me is changing, when everything feels unsteady. It is the thing that helps me remember that even if everything else is changing, he never changes. The saving work he did on the cross, the way that he made a way for us, it stands. It stands today just as much as it did then. And even though so much has changed this year, Jesus Christ has not changed. Your God has not changed. And then he says, do not let your heart be swayed by anyone who says otherwise. He says, do not be led away by different or strange teachings. Don't let anyone fool you. Jesus Christ is still the same. And what he taught 2000 years ago still stands. The gospel still stands. It has not changed. And what he did for us in making the way to have relationship with God has not changed. And because of that, we keep praising God, verses 13 through 16. We keep our eyes on eternity, on the city that is to come because he is eternal. We praise him because of who he is. 
And that is our acceptable worship that we offer now. No longer is it the blood of bulls and goats, but it is the praise of our lips. And we keep doing good. Remember Hebrews 10, 23, we stir one another up toward love and good works, not because that's what saves us, but because that is the natural overflow of a heart that has been changed. It is the natural overflow of an encounter with who God is. And not because it puts us in better standing with him, because the work is done. We do it because he is good and others will come to know him by the way we reflect him to the world. He gets the glory and we point other people to Jesus. And then he finishes with this beautiful benediction. These were our two key verses that we wrote out in our study this um, today. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He finishes the way he started with Jesus. He is the, the conduit through which the God of peace brought peace to us. There is peace between us and God now because of Jesus. And when God raised Jesus from the dead and he sat at the right hand of the throne in heaven, it declared for all eternity that it was done. And I love that the author of all the pictures that he could have used of Jesus in this last benediction, he's compared him to the law and to the priests and to Abraham and Moses and Melchizedek and the tabernacle and the sacrifice. He has shown and able, he's shown that he is more and better than all of these. He could have picked any single one. And instead he introduces one last picture of who Jesus is. And it's one that they were very familiar with because it's one that Jesus used to describe himself in John 10. Jesus became the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the great shepherd of us, his flock, of his church. And goodness, we could do an entire year-long study on what it meant that Jesus is the shepherd. But uh, in John 10, where he calls himself the good shepherd, there's just a few ways I just want you to know as a comfort over your heart, what it means that he is the shepherd. Uh, because shepherds in those days uh, are not what we tend to think of as shepherd. They shepherded very different. And a huge part of that was because of the protection and the love for these um, animals that would become their sacrifices, that would become their covering for their sin. Um, and he talks about in John 10, how he calls his sheep and they pursue him, that they know his voice. Um, in that day, they would, um, as shepherds, they would, they would have multiple flocks from very, from different shepherds out in fields together or in pins together. And when the shepherd would call them, 
the each sheep would know the voice of their shepherd and, and they would come. They would, if another shepherd called his sheep to come, they wouldn't go because they knew that that wasn't their shepherd. And so he calls us and we know his voice. It's why it's so important. We know his word so that we aren't led astray by people who are trying to tell us that Jesus is no longer who he says he was or that things or the gospel or the way church is, it's just a little different now because cultural things. He leads them out. He goes before them. And I love that idea because we saw that in that verse in Deuteronomy 31, how God says he goes before us and he never leaves us or forsakes us. That's the same idea. The shepherd goes out before them. He, Jesus is the way he's the door or the gate that everyone who enters through Jesus is saved. He is the giver of abundant life and not just life, but that they would have life to the full. And that he lays down his life, he protects his sheep, and he brings the whole flock together under one good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And that's the picture we see here in Hebrews 13. And there's so much more. But here's really the overarching kind of big picture idea I want you to understand about a shepherd 2,000 years ago versus a shepherd today. When we think of shepherds, we think of these herd dogs running around and barking and nipping, and we think of lassos and we think of horses, and it, it's a very almost chaotic and fearful way to, to be rounded up or to be led. But shepherds didn't lead with fear back then. They led with tenderness and care. And not only is Jesus our shepherd, the great shepherd of his sheep, but he was also the spotless lamb and the sacrifice by the blood of the eternal covenant not just the better covenant, not just a new covenant that was going to last until another one came along eternal. It stands. It cannot be taken away. The covenant that Jesus sealed by his own blood. And when he walked out of the grave three days later, and when he sat down at the right hand of heaven, that was the final eternal covenant that God made that covered us and because of that, our God now equips us, equip you with every, everything that is good that you may do his will. This is good in his definition because our God is good. Good isn't more things. It's not the way we would necessarily define it here on earth. But he equips us with everything we need to work and to follow him so that we can be more like him follow our shepherd through Jesus Christ. We can only be sanctified. We can only do it through Jesus. Y'all, we can't do this on our own. On our own, if I were to look at this list and, and just check off and think about all the things that I have to do, I would need a nap by two o'clock every single day, probably maybe earlier. <laughs> I can't do it on my own. I can't fight my own sin. But because of the blood covering of Jesus and because he gives us the helper in the Holy Spirit, because he continually teaches us and reminds us of what we have learned, that when we lock eyes on Jesus, we can continue to move away from the world and our flesh and our sin 
and become more like Jesus. We can continue doing as Hebrews 12, one and two calls us, putting aside the desires of sin, taking off the things that hinder us and running full hearted after Jesus. And to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We did it. Take a moment, do a little dance, throw your hands up in praise. Yay. I'm so proud of you and I'm so excited. Um, anytime we finish a study, the question that usually follows is what's next? But before I get to what's next in the next study, my first stop is always this process called gleaning. Before jumping right into another study, spend time, take a couple weeks and go back over what you just studied. Revisit the truths you learned so that they really solidify. Go back and pick up the pieces you may have left behind. Uh, place where you wanted to study a little deeper but you didn't yet or um, ask God to show you something you may have missed. Spend time going through the remember questions in the back of the book. It will help solidify what God is doing in your life. But what's next? <laughs> there are a couple of options. I'm starting the second half of the Gospel of John on Tuesday, January 26th. We meet live on Zoom on Tuesday evenings, and then we break into small groups right there virtually. You can either join us then, or many of you already have groups of women locally that you gather with, and I love that, and I want to support that. The teachings for John 11 through 21 will be posted each week right here on this podcast and on my YouTube channel, so you can study along in your own small group if that works better for you. Either way, sign up on the website so that you can get the weekly John emails. But there's another option. Maybe you want to go back and start at the beginning of John. You can gather with some friends and start at John chapter 1. The inductive study journal is available on Amazon and the teachings are posted on season one of the podcast or on my YouTube channel. You can sign up on my website and I will email you a group of discussion questions to go along with it. So check out the show notes for a link to that. All the information for this can be found at feastingontruth.com slash Bible study. Whatever you do, let's choose to stay in the word this year. Let's keep running after Jesus. Let's keep looking to Jesus. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our Waymaker. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for sending us Jesus. Thank you for his coming at Christmas, Lord, for us to have a way to have a relationship with you. Lord, not just a way to get out of our sin, but God, a way that um, propels us forward and in a way, Lord, that we get to have a relationship with our holy God, that we are able to approach your throne of grace with confidence. Lord, I pray that you will um, take the truths of Hebrews and that they would root deep in our lives and God that your word would do exactly what you say that it will accomplish a purpose in our life and that it would cause um, life to bud and to flourish and to grow in us Lord we pray as we go back and we glean show us what we missed God um, deepen these truths and then let us be your light bearers. Let us be the glory, Lord, your glory, and let others see you through us. And it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.